Today is the Bitcoin halving. Now you're wondering, oh no, not again, Francis talking about Bitcoin. My Bitcoin episodes have gotten a lot of basic questions from some of my audience, which is kind of like, why the fuck is Bitcoin that important? Why? This is a Ponzi scheme. This is a, you know, a pyramid scheme. It's a, it's, it's a bubble. It's a whatever, you know, all sorts of misunderstandings about uh, Bitcoin. So I realized, you know what? Whoa, I put the cart before the horse here. I haven't gone over 101. Like, why is Bitcoin worth anything? Why is it even valuable? So what I hope to accomplish in this episode is to tell you the 15 things that make money, money. The definition of money. What is money? And Bitcoin has 14 of those 15 properties. And we'll go over each one in rapid succession. But before I do that, I want to talk about the halving. The halving that's happening today, why is it called the halving? Is that Bitcoin is mined by computers, effectively. Computers are solving very complex puzzles. And the computer somewhere on the planet that solves it the quickest about every 10 minutes gets a reward in Bitcoin, gets paid in Bitcoin. Every four years, that reward gets cut in half. So it started at 50, and then it went down to 25, then it went down to 12 and a half, and now it's going to six and a quarter. And of course, in four more years, it's gonna drop to three and one eighth. So that is the halving, that's why it's called the halving, because the reward gets cut in half. Now. This reward is significant and the halving is significant because what's happening is that the inflation rate of Bitcoin has been steadily dropping. Right now, it's at, now that the halvings happen, the inflation rate is about 3%. In four more years, in 2024, the inflation rate will be under 1%. And in around 2036, the inflation rate will be 0.1%. Now this is kind of like the opposite of what we've been seeing in most currencies and most fiat currencies that you you associate with the US dollar, the euro, etc. The federal banks print more money effectively. They put more money into circulation and therefore they increase the inflation rate and they therefore devalue the value of that currency. That's why $1 that you had in George Washington's time, if you had it today, it would be worth about one cent. So that's the process that inflation kind of eats away at the value of whatever money you happen to have served. That's why you need to find other investment vehicles. Bitcoin is doing the exact opposite of that. It is actually, instead of softening over time, it's hardening over time. It becomes more hard. And then the closest analogy to that is gold. Gold has a low inflation rate of about one to 3%. And it's always been that way for centuries because the amount of gold mining that can be done every year is very little compared to the amount of gold stock. Go see my stock to flow article to hear more about more about that. What I find so exciting about Bitcoin is that it's got this very hard monetary policy. So now let's go over the 15 points about what makes Bitcoin money. What are the 15 properties? And there's only one of the 15 that Bitcoin does not have. Okay, so let's go over the first 14 and I'll leave the 15th one it doesn't have for last. First of all, it's scarce. Scarce because there's only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be in circulation. Right now, there's approximately uh, 18, 19 million that are in circulation and they're pumping it out slowly but surely as a trickle for the next 120 years, we'll get those last 2 million Bitcoins that come into circulation. But effectively, it's extremely scarce. 
Number two, it's durable. So money has to be durable and Bitcoin is as durable as the internet is durable. In other words, yes, you can destroy the internet, but boy, is that going to be hard. So the same thing is destroying Bitcoin. It's very difficult to destroy Bitcoin because you have to destroy the internet to destroy Bitcoin effectively. It is a peer-to-peer -peer money effectively. Number three, portable. Money should be portable. Now, gold is not super portable because it's kind of a pain, but it is, you know, something you can carry a few million bucks in a suitcase. Uh, it's a very heavy suitcase, but uh, you can do it. Bitcoin, of course, is super portable because it's just digital. So it can't get any more portable than that. You can actually carry millions and billions of Bitcoin just in your head, just memorizing it. Number four, it's divisible. So money has to be divisible. Now, one of the problems that gold has is that it's not very divisible. That's one of the smallest units you can have is one gram. And one gram is worth about $55 or 50 euros right now and, and in today's prices. So if you want to, let's say, buy a cup of coffee, it's like handing somebody a $50 bill. Uh, you want to buy some bubble gum, it's not very divisible. It's not like they can give you change on that one gram of gold. But Bitcoin is divisible 100 million satoshis which is kind of like the smallest unit is in one bitcoin 100 million of them so you can divide it there and if in the far future we have discovered that one satoshi is just not uh small enough and we need to divide that that's easy to do in the protocol the protocol can make it say okay great we're going to make another thousand layers and make one satoshi and divide that up into another thousand it's just programming it's a protocol so it's very divisible. Number five, it should be easy to recognize. And uh, Bitcoin is easy to recognize because you've got a Bitcoin wallet. And if somebody tries to shove any other currency into that wallet, it won't recognize it. So when you see that, oh, I have two Bitcoins in my wallet, it's two Bitcoins. There's, it's very easy to recognize just like a, and a US dollar is generally easy to recognize, but it could be counterfeited. We'll get to counterfeiting later. Number six it should be easy to store and yes bitcoin can be st stored in any digital device you can store it on your phone on a usb stick you can store it in your head you can store it on a piece of paper you can write store it in many ways number seven it should be fungible what the hell is fungible fungible means that if i give you ten dollar bill a ten dollar bill that's all wrinkly and you know disgusting but it's a ten dollar bill and you give you can give me a nice clean ten dollar bill that just came out of the atm machine and it's a fair trade yes mine's ugly and disgusting but they're fungible in other words interchangeable or of course you could say ten dollars and you give me two five dollar bills that's like another way of measuring fungibility so your dollar is worth just as much as my dollar so same thing with bitcoin it's fungible in other words my Bitcoin is the same and is worth the same whether I'm in Venezuela or whether I'm in Australia. It's fungible. Number eight characteristic about money is that it should be hard to counterfeit. And Bitcoin has never been counterfeited before. You can't break into it. You can't create it out of thin air. And US dollar, yeah, you can counterfeit it. Gold, you can counterfeit even. You can add lead to it and take away a little bit of the uh, properties. It looks like gold and could pass a lot of uh, tests, but 
that's what emperors used to do in the past. They used to add uh, a little bit more lead to kind of lower the value of the gold, but at least use less gold. But that's another way we can get around it. You can't do that with Bitcoin. Number nine, widespread use. Now, this is where it gets a little bit weak on the Bitcoin world because it's not super widespread. But on the other hand, it, you could argue it is widespread because it's in every single country in the world. There's servers in over 100 different countries in the world, so nodes uh, that transact it. So you can find Bitcoin anywhere and you can use Bitcoin anywhere there's Internet. And so it's pretty easy to find and, and uh, it is pretty widespread in that, in that measure. Number 10, it should be a medium of exchange. And that basically means that businesses should be able to accept it. And indeed, thousands and thousands of businesses accept Bitcoin. You probably haven't heard of all of them because you don't use Bitcoin because you're happy with your credit cards, because you're happy with PayPal, you're happy with uh, Venmo, you're happy with um, your euro or your dollar or whatever. The fact is, is that you can pay for so many things using Bitcoin, almost anything. And so that uh, helps prove that it is a medium of exchange. Number 11, it should be a store of value. Now, this gets a little complicated because a lot of people, for they mean a store of value, something that is stable. It stores your value. Makes sense. And Bitcoin has been very volatile. Now, so that's the bad news. It's not really good for like, I want to be able to say, okay, I'm going to set aside one Bitcoin that let's say today I can buy a car I don't want to come back in a year's time and all of a sudden I can't even buy, I don't know, a bicycle with it. That's not a good store of value. But on the other hand, it's been the best performing asset in the previous decade from 20, uh, 2010 to 2020. Let me repeat that. The best performing asset, according to Bloomberg, it had a 9 million percent return. So even though it has a lot of volatility, even though it has a lot of ups and downs, it is in some ways a really good store of value because you know, you put aside and like, okay, this can buy a car today. And then 10 years later, you can buy, I don't know, a fleet of cars. You can buy <laughs> several cars. You can buy a house. Um, and so in that sense, it it is a good store of value in that respect. Number 12, it's able to earn interest or be offered as a loan. Now, Bitcoin can be uh, used to loan. It can be loaned out. It can be used to get interest. Uh, a company that does that, for example, is BlockFi. BlockFi.com allows you to earn interest or lend your Bitcoin out to other people. Number 13, it should be available on debit cards. Well, Bitcoin is available on many diff different debit cards. The merchant, of course, has no clue that you're actually paying with Bitcoin because the merchant gets dollars or euros or whatever you're paying in. Or you can be doing it in India and you're paying there. Uh, with with uh, your credit card, your debit card, sorry. Number 14, uh, it should be available with credit cards. Well, guess what? Uh, in 2020, we're going to have two Bitcoin credit cards that actually give Bitcoin as a reward. So you use a credit card. One of them is called Fold. The other one's called BlockRise, R-I-Z-E, BlockRise. And both of those credit cards allow you to get rewards. Instead of having frequent flyer miles or instead of getting 1% uh, cash back, you're getting certain amount back in Bitcoin. And again, that's a pretty cool uh, solution. And now finally, number 15, the one thing that Bitcoin does not qualify on the list of things that qualify as money. And that is, it should be, money should be a unit of account. What does that mean? That means that when you go to the store, 
or you see the gasoline prices, petrol prices, it says, you know, $2 per gallon. It's written in dollars or in euros. It doesn't say 0 0.0054 Bitcoin per gallon. And when you go buy anything, a Kindle or whatever, it's not going to price it out in Bitcoin for you. Your uh, everything is priced in usually the local currencies. I don't think it's probably ever going to happen. Maybe in some tiny little country that that something is going to be priced in Bitcoin as default. And does that doom it as a as a way of looking at money? I don't think necessarily. Uh, I think it can still be useful in the same way that the U.S. dollar is useful. I can travel to Africa and uh, things are not priced in the U.S. dollar, but they accept the U.S. dollar one way or another. I can at least exchange it into the local currency and then spend my dollars in the Congo. And they take their, I pay in Congolese francs and, you know, they, they don't really care that originally I had dollars, just like they wouldn't really care if I originally had Bitcoin. So those are... Um, the 15 different things that I've gone over in 15 minutes or less. Now, one of the biggest criticisms and misunderstandings about Bitcoin is that people say it doesn't have an, any intrinsic value. It's just in the ether. It's just some digital good. It's not worth anything. I want to play a, a short little clip from one of the smartest people on this planet. This is Yuval Harari. Yet what is money? Again, money is not an objective reality. It has no objective value. Take this green piece of paper, the dollar bill, look at it. It has no value. You cannot eat it, you cannot drink it, you cannot wear it. But then come along these master storytellers, the big bankers, the finance ministers, the prime ministers, and they tell us a very convincing story. Look, you see this green piece of paper? It is actually worth 10 bananas. And if I believe it, and you believe it, and everybody believes it, it actually works. I can take this worthless piece of paper, go to the supermarket, give it to a complete stranger whom I've never met before, and get in exchange real bananas, which I can actually eat. This is something amazing. You can never do it with chimpanzees. Chimpanzees trade, of course. Yes, you give me a coconut, I'll give you a banana. That can work. But you give me a worthless piece of paper and you expect me to give you a banana? No way! What do you think I am, a human? <laughs> Money, in fact, is the most successful story ever invented and told by humans because it is the only story everybody believes. Not everybody believes in God, not everybody believes in human rights, not everybody believes in nationalism, but everybody believes in money and in the dollar bill. Take even Osama bin Laden. He hated American politics and American religion and American culture, but he had no objection to American dollars. He was quite fond of them, actually. Now, Eric Posner of the University of Chicago Law School, he said that, you know, Bitcoin's not a Ponzi scheme, a real Ponzi scheme requires, it takes fraud. And he said, by contrast, Bitcoin seems more like a collective delusion. And I'm like, absolutely. That's exactly what Bitcoin is. It is a collective delusion, just like every other fucking piece of money out here. They're all the same. In the end, ultimately, 
Bitcoin has value for the same reason any money has value, is that we have decided that it has value. That's it. It's just that simple. And one day that could go away. That's true. All of a sudden, one day, the US dollar will be far less valuable than it is today. That day is going to come. Guaranteed, probably this century, maybe even next this decade. But it's going to happen. And Bitcoin is here to stay, though, I think. And one of the things that really kind of got my mind to it, back in December of 2018, I think it was, when I was kind of finally seeing the Bitcoin price drop very dramatically from $20,000 to $3,200. I was investigating throughout the year as it was falling down. And I was so fascinated by how developers were just still very passionate about Bitcoin throughout the entire process, the entire decline was going on. And that told me, I was like, okay, this thing has legs. This is an ecosystem that's being built. And there, right at this point, it's too big to fail. Bitcoin is worth roughly $150 billion as a market cap. It has so many different companies behind it. So many different companies are plugging into it, using it one way or another. It is uh, an enormous ecosystem. It's kind of like when Apple created the Apple Store for its iPhones, all of a sudden a whole ecosystem built around the iPhone apps and the iPhone Store. And same way, Bitcoin is just this thing that all of a sudden all sorts of things are getting plugged into and using it as a tool and as a way to kind of disrupt industries. And so that I think is very interesting and it just indicates how entrenched already it is. And so I think it's gonna be very, very difficult to destroy. You can certainly slow it down. You can certainly tax it. You can certainly try to ban it. And these things will hurt Bitcoin and slow it down a bit. But for it to go down to zero, I really, really think it's highly improbable. Not impossible. A lot of things are not impossible, but improbable. Another criticism that I often hear is that some people say like, you know, you say it's scarce, but it's not scarce. There's 21 million Bitcoin. Got it. I understand. It's fixed. Can't change that. Fine. Well, some people actually say, well, what's to stop programmers from changing the programming and change the protocol? Well, first of all, all the majority of the Bitcoin uh, universe has to agree to change the protocol and say, no, we don't want just 21 million Bitcoins. We want to make 42 million Bitcoins or whatever. But that would be like shooting yourself in the head. It would be literal suicide. Because why? Because suddenly the whole premise of Bitcoin would collapse. All of a sudden you would be devaluing, probably, presumably, the people who are making the decision actually actually have Bitcoin and are controlling it. They would literally drop the value down 99% probably. It's not impossible, but extremely improbable. A lot of people then say, but yeah, but Bitcoin might be limited, but there's a thousand cryptocurrencies out there. There's Ethereum, there's Monero, there's Zcash, there's so many other cryptocurrencies out there. But the problem with that analogy is that it's kind of like saying, well, the dollar is worthless, the US dollar is worthless because there's so many different, there's a hundred currencies in the world. I'm like, yes, there's a hundred currencies in the world, but there's only one US dollar, there's only one reserve currency at this time. And usually there's only one reserve currency at any given time. Another thing is that there's a lot of operating systems out there, but there's only really one Windows operating system. Does that make, you know, just say, well, how can Windows be worth anything? You know, there's so many different operating systems out there. And it's true, there are a lot of operating systems out there. But Windows has critical market share. And therefore, it's much more valuable than a lot of other operating systems out there. 
And same thing with Android and same thing with the iOS. These are valuable operating systems because there's so few of them. And same thing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin has what's called network effects that are increasing the value and it makes it very difficult to then create a new one. I guess another example for the geeky people out there is TCP IP. It's a protocol and you could say, well, there's better versions of communicating than HTTP and, and, and TCP IP. It's true. There are faster. There's better things in Ethernet as well. But once they has the network effects, once it's entrenched, it's very difficult to displace the market leader. And Bitcoin has a dominance. It has always had over 50% market share. And right now it's about two thirds of the market. And I just don't see that going away. It's a little fluctuate. Cryptocurrencies are trying, but the next best competitor is, I think, less than 10% market share. So Bitcoin is way out ahead. It's very difficult to displace. Another thing is people say that, well, Bitcoin, the value is constantly changing. Well, of course, every currency is changing its value constantly when you compare it to other currencies. The U.S. dollar is constantly going up and down, up and down, up and down. If you're Japanese or if you're European or if you're an African, it's just constantly changing the U.S. dollar. And so Bitcoin is doing, yes, the Bitcoin volatility is much higher than the U.S. dollar. The, what's called beta doesn't mean that it's not worth anything just because the value is constantly changing. And some people say, well, it can't be used as a currency it, it, you know, because it's too volatile. Well, in the end, Bitcoin is less volatile than a lot of other currencies out there. It is less volatile than, let's say, the Zimbabwean dollar or the Argentine peso or the Venezuelan bolivar. These are currencies that are far more volatile, and that's why those societies are using Bitcoin in many of their transactions, because they want something that's more stable and holds its value and retains its value. And I think also, if you look at the volatility of Bitcoin over the last 10 years, it has been steadily decreasing. Yes, there's still some wild swings on the market, but in general, the, the, the swings are diminishing over time. Another issue is that people say, well, it facilitates criminality. And this stuff is changing because most criminals who are smart, and there's a lot of smart criminals out there, have been moving to two other cryptocurrencies that are much more private than Bitcoin. One of them is called Monero, and the other one is called Zcash. And these uh, cryptocurrencies are have privacy features built into them, unlike Bitcoin, which has a public ledger and is a little bit higher to hide your transactions. In fact, a lot of people are complaining about Bitcoin for not being private enough because Every trans when you buy a cup of coffee, it's put there on the public ledger. And so, yes, it is just a number. It doesn't have your name associated with that. But there's certain companies such as uh, Chainalysis, which allows you to, uh, they, they track big transactions. They are able to catch pedophiles and be able to catch uh, people who are doing other criminal activity on uh, using Bitcoin. And so constantly there's some bad guys getting caught doing Bitcoin and that's what's pushed bad guys away from Bitcoin. And eventually that as a currency is not going to be its main deal. There's going to be so many other applications that are going to be much more fruitful and much more mainstream. And by the way, the US dollar with its $100 bills, most of the $100 bills are used for criminal purposes as well. And does that make the dollar bill a bad thing that we shouldn't use the US dollar? No, not necessarily. So. This is just the reality of any currency, and Bitcoin is not the best currency to use for criminal behavior. Monero, Zcash, if you're a criminal listening in, those are the ones you want to use, guys. So dress up and enjoy the having. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn and to observe the price of Bitcoin after the having. It's going to be probably a wild ride like it always is after the having. 
And this is not financial advice, but I remember saying in December 31st of 2019, I said, next year, in other words, the end of this year, it's going to end at least above 10,000 and a 30% chance that it will end above 20,000. And I still stick with that. And the fact that there's this whole COVID crisis where governments across the world are pumping money like crazy and inflating currencies and devaluating their own currencies, I think a lot of people are going to rush to gold and to Bitcoin. Already, Paul Tudor Jones, a billionaire, has decided to place a huge bet and characterize Bitcoin as, quote, the fastest horse out there to combat the Federal Reserve pumping up of a lot of money. So when Paul Tudor Jones, a famous, famous, prescient investor, makes that call about Bitcoin, it's maybe time that you should think about it. Just consider it. I think you'll be ahead of the game. And I'm telling people this because a lot of people... Um, look to me and wonder, why do I get to travel as much as I do? Why do I get to travel nonstop? Well, you have to make good investments so that if you make them wise enough, you can actually return from your travels with more money than you left. How cool would that be? And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, and go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at WanderLearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.